John chapter 11 and verse 1, if you want to turn over there. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, if you want to jump over really quick, see how well you know your Bible. First John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That was a test. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Praise God. God is good. God is love, it says there, doesn't it? God is love. Are you okay in the fun room? How are the fun room doing today? Fun room are good? Praise God. <laughs> we haven't forgotten yet. <laughs> Praise God. So I don't know, we're going to talk about love today, and I don't know if any of you have heard the book, The Five Love Languages. No? Okay. Praise God. Probably best if you haven't, really, in my opinion. But anyway, for those of you that haven't, this is a book. It's written, I believe, by a Christian author. And the book claims that there are five different types of love languages. And we all have one of these languages that we prefer or that we hang on to or that means more to us. Now, like I say, I haven't read it. I was just asked one day, what's your love language? I was like, huh? So I had a little nosy online anyway. And I'm not coming against the book in any way. I'm not coming against the author in any way. It was written to help improve marriages and relationships, I believe. But didn't, didn't sit, you know, just didn't, you know, when you go in on something and it's like, you know, I don't know about this. So according to the author, anyway, there are five love languages. So you want to think about this for a second. Okay, so you're in love. So five different ways that your spouse or your partner can show you love, which is the way you prefer. So there's words of affirmation, there's acts of service, there's receiving gifts, there's quality time, and then there's physical touch. So apparently, words of affirmation, if this is your love language, then you love to be told, I love you, you're beautiful, you look great, you look lovely today, okay? If it's acts of service, then for you, actions speak louder than words, okay? If it's receiving gifts, well then, your love language is you like to receive gifts. I love to receive gifts, amen. But then I also love the acts of service and I also love the words of affirmation. Quality time, this language is all about giving the other person your undivided attention. So when your spouse gives you his or her undivided attention. And then physical touch. To this person, if that's your love language, then will nothing touches you more deeply than an appropriate touch. It's like, when I read about that, I was like, okay, okay, I, I see where you're going here. But none of that to me, you know, I, I couldn't pick one. I was like, 
I like all those, you know? And it kind of, I, I felt a little bad about that. I thought, that make me greedy or selfish. And, you know, but anyway, I got over all that because I'm not a greedy person. I'm not a selfish person. And I like all those five lines. And, but it made me think about love then. And I was thinking about love and this and that. And you know, then I thought about, wait a minute, what about God? The Bible says that God is love. So what's God's love language? What's God's love language? We just read it, John chapter 4 and verse 8. Um, let's skip down there to verse 10. In this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So God is love, and his love is manifested to us, that towards, his love is manifested towards us in that he sent his son to the cross for us. Yes, we're all agreed on that? All Christians in here, okay. And he loves us because he, sent, he proved that by sending his son to the cross for us. And not only is God love, but he shows us in all those different ways. God doesn't just have one love language. Did you know that? Think about the love languages for a minute. Words of affirmation. It's full of words of affirmation. Amen. You're the apple of his eye. Amen. Praise God. Acts of service. How many times has God done stuff for you? He's healed you at some stage. He's provided for you. He's protected you. And not to mention the greatest gift of all, sending his son to the cross. Amen. What about receiving gifts? How many gifts has God given you? Your spouse, your children, your life, your health, your joy, your peace, your happiness. Not to mention his grace, his favor that follows us around, his mercies that are new every morning. The list is endless of the gifts God gives to us. Amen. Quality time. Well, that's up to us. Because God's available 24 7, amen, 365 days a year. So that's up to us. Hebrews tells us in 13 5 that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. And then physical touch. Wow. There's no nicer feeling than a touch from God, amen. The goosebumps, amen. The tingly feeling. It's amazing and there's no touch like it. So our God is a God of love. And our God is love, and he doesn't have just one language to reveal that to us. He reveals it to us in so many different ways. Now, and you're probably sitting there, or you're sitting in the fun room, and you're thinking, I know this, Angela. You talk about this every Sunday, God is love, when we're in church. We teach the kids every Sunday, God is love. But I want to say to you today, do you know it? You can sit there and tell me, yes, I know God loves me. But do you really know just how much God loves you? Do you have a revelation today? Can you honestly, hand on heart, say, yes, I have a revelation of how much God loves me? John 3.16, we could quote it. We don't need to turn to our Bibles to read it. We know it. It's what we base our Christianity on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We say it. But look at the first four words. For God so loved didn't say God liked the world, God loved the world, God so loved the world. He so loved the world. It's one thing to have God love you guys, but it's an entirely different thing to have God so love you, so love you. John 3:16 in the New Living says it this way, for God loved the world so much that he gave. The Amplified said, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. The Passion Translation says, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. Praise God. God loves you. God loves me. God loves you. It's just the way it is. He can't help himself. Why can he not help himself? Because he is love. God is love. Amen. 
He so loves us. He so loves us. He just loves it. It's just the way it is. He cannot help it. Man, he just cannot help it. Like, we all have different things that we like. We have different preferences. We like one thing more than another. We love one thing more than another. We like one person more than we like another person. We love one person more than we love another person. And we all have this thing. Hey, we all have favorites and preferences. And with God, he so loves us. Because like an example, in church, for me, church, I just love it. I love every aspect of it, prayer ministry, worship ministry, everything, love it all. But my favorite that I so love are kids and youth. I will work with them all day and all night because I love it. I love encouraging them, speaking to them, blessing them. I love all that sort of stuff. So for me, I so love kids and youth and, and youth to work with. And I was just thinking about that. It's the same with God. When God looks at you, he so loves you. He so loves you. He just, he just can't help himself. He just so loves you. God is compassionate towards you too. Don't forget, he's compassionate towards you. You know, Ed and I have several nieces and nephews and we love them all. They're all just brilliant. But I remember one of them when he was five, he had to wear glasses. Now, he was the first of our nieces and nephews to get glasses and the fact that he was only five and his mom was distressed and, you know, he had the, the extra ad insult to injury if you like it was the same year he started school and she was worried you know what if he falls when he's outside and you know hurts himself with the glasses what if the other kids tease him and he didn't like school anyway so this was going to be a huge thing to him and I just I remember I hadn't seen him and she'd been telling me all this on the phone and you know and then I went in to visit him and I walked into the room and he was sitting on the floor looking up at the television and he had the glasses and he was squinting his little nose up you know trying to hold the glasses up so that he could see the television and I remembered the compassion that I felt for him. I could hardly contain it inside me, the compassion I felt. And that same year, he was allowed to come to camp for the first time. And you know, guys, any of you that have been Irish summer camp, the kids are everywhere. And you're standing up on the stage there, and you're, you're looking at all these faces. And I remember spotting him in the crowd. And he was on the floor, and he was scrunched up the glasses again, trying to look up to me on the stage. And I remember, even on the stage in the throes of camp, the compassion I felt for that child. Can you imagine the compassion God feels for you? He looks at you amongst all his creation, amongst everybody that he created, he looks at you and he feels huge compassion for you. That's our God, amen. God is awestruck by us too. I remember a few years ago when the girls were small, we did a staycation for our holidays that year and we ended up traveling up the north and we were in Donegal. I had never been in Donegal. If you haven't been in Donegal, you need to go. It's absolutely beautiful. But the, I, we were driving around and everywhere was lovely and we were watching all the scenery and all. But as we were driving one part of the road, we came to a bend and we could see right out over a lake into a forest area. Now, I mean, this was just beautiful. It was your perfect scene. And I remember saying to Andrew, we have to stop. We have to stop here and get out and have a look because this view it was too good to just drive past and say oh that's lovely no this view we needed to stop and have a look that's how god is with you he wants to stop and gaze on you and love on you and look at you and you know be compassionate over you and love on you he wants to admire you that's the way god feels about you and his love is unconditional god's love is unconditional there's nothing you can say that will stop God's love for you. And there's nothing that you can do that will stop him loving you. Romans 8.39 says it like this, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Guys, he sent his boy. He sent his boy into the world, into a world full of sinners to make a way for us. God doesn't love sin, but he's obsessed with sinners. Praise God. He does not love sin, but he is obsessed with sinners. That's good news, amen? Because he so loved the world that he sent his son. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you any less, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more. His love is relentless towards you. His love is just, he can't stop it. It's unconditional. He pursues you. He goes after you. He watches out for you. He watches over you. He just cannot stop his love towards us because he is love. He loved this world so much that he sent his boy down to be crushed on a cross for us. Amen. That's beyond, uh, beyond understanding. It's beyond understanding. The creator of this vast, huge universe would send his boy down to die for you. For you. Why? Because he so loves you. Amen. He so loves you. So I just want you to think back to Oliver. We've talked about this now. You're like, okay, I should write all this. God is love. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe you still haven't got the revelation. Maybe the light still hasn't got on, gone off of where we're going on this, you know. Think back to Oliver. God loves you now. We know that, yes, God so loves you. But yet, we tiptoe towards him when we need to ask him for something. Yet, when we go to God, we're tiptoeing. We're going to God. Remember Oliver? He was hungry. He wanted more food. The head of the orphanage was standing up the front. Like, did Oliver walk boldly to the front of the room and ask for more food? No, he didn't. I know it was hard to see it on that screen. No, he did not. First of all, he had to be coerced into going with, from all the other boys. And then when he did approach the guy, he approached him with fear and trembling. Oliver was hungry, but he knew the chances of more food from this guy was slim. He had heard the others talk. He knew the story. He knew the drill. His expectations were low. Even when he asked, and your man says, more? You want more? What did he do? He dropped the bowl and ran. That's the Oliver approach. And we need to stop having the Oliver approach when we come to God. Because God is not the head of an orphanage. Those boys were stuck in that orphanage because they had nowhere else to go. They, they kept them alive by feeding them the bare minimum. They were still hungry, but they just gave them enough to keep them alive. That's not our God. That's not the God that so loved this world that he sent his son. Amen. Our almighty God of love is just waiting for us to ask. We don't have to tiptoe up like Oliver. We don't have to come to the throne room in fear and trembling with low expectations. God doesn't hold anything back. He withholds nothing back. Amen. We need to lose the Oliver approach. Hebrews 4.16 says it like this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. Why can we come boldly? We can come boldly because he so loves us. Oliver knew that guy didn't love him. Oliver knew this is going to mean trouble to me. But when we come, when we come boldly, we know that God, we're coming to a God that loves us, a God that owns the cattle on the thousand hills. He can give us anything, a God that can heal us no matter what. Nothing is impossible to this God that we serve. So we can come boldly. So let's go back to Mary and Martha again. We all know Mary and Martha, yes? Martha, the fusspot and all that. They're sisters. They have a brother called Lazarus. Now, this, this family are friends of Jesus. 
How do we know that? Well, sure, we know that Jesus is eaten at their home, and we know that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume. So th that's these two women, and they have a problem now because their brother, their baby brother, is sick. He's sick now. Scholars tell us that Martha was the oldest, then Mary, then Lazarus. He's their little brother, and he's sick. He's on death's door, actually. So they decide to send for Jesus. Why do they decide to send for Jesus? They decide to send for Jesus because they know that Jesus can heal Lazarus. They know. They've spent time with Jesus. They know that Jesus can heal Lazarus. But the thing about it is they send a message to Jesus, but Jesus is not in the immediate vicinity at the time. Busy man. You know, small fault. Busy man. He has to be other places. So how did they word the note? Did they come with the Oliver approach? Mary and Martha, to their friend Jesus, who they knew could heal Lazarus? Did they come with the Oliver approach? Jesus, you know, Lazarus is sick, can you come and lay hands on him? Mm -mm. Sorry to bother you, Jesus, but maybe on your way home you could just pass by and run in and just heal Lazarus. He's not feeling the best. Did they say, you know, would you mind calling over to the house maybe later on for dinner? Or this, to me, is the ultimate Oliver approach. Are you ready for it? This is the real Oliver approach. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. If it's your will, would you come and heal him? Only if it's your will now. That's the Oliver approach, amen? Did they do that? No, they didn't. What did they do? John chapter 11 and verse 3 says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Beyond understanding, isn't it? It's like, it's mind-blowing. The one you love is sick. Mary and Martha didn't pussyfoot around, as we'd say in Enniscorthy. The one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. Their little brother was sick, probably hours from death. His life is on the line. They send a note to Jesus. We call it a note. They sent word to Jesus. The one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. They could have sent a note to Jesus and, you know, explained to Jesus, you know, he has a high temperature and, you know, he had sore throat. He's complaining of sore throat yesterday. And he took a drink of water this morning now, but he hasn't had anything since then. And, you know, his fever is bubbling over. You know, we're trying to keep him cool with damp clothes. And, you know, he's really, he's been, he's actually asleep at the moment. He's been asleep for the last few hours. They could have done all that, explained the symptoms. You know, it'd be handy for Jesus when he got there to know what he was dealing with. No, they didn't need to do that. The one you love is sick. Signed, Mary and Martha. <laughs> or they didn't say to him, remember now, Jesus, this is Lazarus who did this. Do you remember he tied? Do you remember? And he did this. Do you remember he did all that work in the temple? Do you remember he helped that guy the other day and he, he did this yesterday and he did that last year and he did this 10 years ago? No. The one you love is sick. Mary and Martha were convinced of Jesus' love for Lazarus. They were convinced of Jesus' love for Lazarus. They were convinced that Jesus could heal Lazarus. And they were convinced that Jesus could heal Lazarus not because Lazarus loved Jesus, but because Jesus loved Lazarus. Amen. Mary and Martha had it. Amen. Penny had dropped. Revelation was gone down there. Amen. They appeal to Jesus on the basis of Jesus' love for their little brother. You know, it seems that like when we look at the Bible, that the people closest to Jesus were overwhelmed with his love. Like we have Mary and Martha, but then there's John, John the disciple. 
John the disciple. Scholars believe that John was Jesus' closest disciple, followed very closely again by Peter. And of course, we know that John laid his head on Jesus' chest, remember? John, the one that calls himself the beloved. He calls himself the beloved disciple. You know, I love this about John. I love this about John, that he's so almost arrogant, like John 13, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. He's talking about himself. He's the gospel of John, and he's talking about himself, the one that Jesus loved. 19, John chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he didn't say, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and myself, or and me, one of the disciples, he said, no, the disciple whom he loved. Chapter 20 and verse 2, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them. John chapter 21 and verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. He didn't say, now I said to Peter, I told Peter. John chapter 21 and verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. It amazes me. I think that's wonderful. John, the disciple Jesus loved. John wrote that about himself. He doesn't say one of the disciples, I'm one of the disciples, or I'm John, of son of... No, I'm John, the one he loves. It's almost as if to insinuate exclusivity, isn't it? As if to say, I am indeed his favorite. I am the number rank, one ranked disciple. How awkward is that? But interestingly enough, God allows it to be recorded. God, there's nothing in this book that God didn't allow go in there. And God allows that to be recorded. Amen. It's the inspired word of God. It's almost as if John saying that he was the one that God loved pleases God. And it does. Of course it does. He loves when we say that. Could you imagine, like, it's almost like I was thinking about this today. Hi, I'm Angela, the pastor's wife that Jesus loves. I don't know about any of the other pastor's wives around here, but I'm the one he loves. I'd say I'd be popular, wouldn't I? <laughs> in our world today, we would call that arrogance, you know? Who do we think we are? But John says it in here five times. Five times, and five is the number of grace. So according to grace, John is convinced that he is the favorite. As I said, God allowed John to write this. He allowed him to put it in this book, the disciple that Jesus loves. It's not that Jesus loved John any more than the rest of them. He didn't love John any more than Peter or Andrew or any of the rest of them. It's the fact he allowed it in here because it's the fact that John had a revelation. John had a revelation that Jesus loved him. God loved him. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. Amen. Amen. He knew how much God loved him and he wasn't afraid to say it. Mary and Martha were convinced of Jesus' love for Lazarus. We have to change our focus. We have to come away from that Oliver mentality and go into the John the disciple mentality, the one he loves. What is the focus of the gospel? Is it A, man loving God, or is it B, God loving man? It's B, God loves man, amen? God loves man. God loves man. God's love is so extravagant and so inexplicable that he loved us even before we were us. Yeah. 
So before you were even born, now for some of us that wasn't very long ago, for others of you it's a long, long time ago, but he loved you even then, before you were born, amen? God so loved the world. He so loved this sinful, godless world that he sent his son. He so loved. If you never love God back, he will still love you. If you never love him back, he will still. This is not a joint effort, guys. This is not a business transaction. God doesn't do business transactions, amen? If you never loved him, he will still love you. You know, think about it. He didn't consult us before he sent his son. He sent him. Why? Because he so loves us. He didn't say, will I send you my son? No, no. He loves us. He sent his son. Amen? Who is this God that loves us anyway? He loves us unconditionally. He's crazy in love with us. He's awestruck by us. He's compassionate towards us. He's obsessed with us. All he wants us to do is trust Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Because you see, when you trust in Jesus, then you're hidden in Christ Jesus. So when God looks on you now, he's looking on Christ Jesus. And he's going, wow, wow. God loves us. Amen. You can tell a person by the way they pray. Oh my God, you know, down on their knees, you know, I'm faithful, Lord, I'm a tither, I read my Bible, why won't you heal me? God, come down and help me, please, Lord, come down and help me. How many times have we asked God before for something on the basis of what we've done or what we're doing? But that's not what moves God, amen? What moves God is God is his son. What moves God is his love towards us. God's love moves God more than your love. So when you pray, pray like Mary and Martha. I've tried to start doing this, you know, and it's a little bit like a drug. It's a little bit of an adrenaline when you get used to doing it. You know, Lord, the one you love is tired today. Give me energy. Now, for the first while, you get used to saying that you might want to be on your own because <laughs> you might think you're a bit crazy. <laughs> Praise God. But remind him of his love for you. And it's not that he's forgotten his love, but he loves to know that you know that he loves him, that he loves you. Amen. Lord, the one you love is a hundred euros short this week to pay our, our bills. Help me, Lord. You're the object of his obsession. Amen. He can't deny himself. God is love. He loves you so much. I tell the kids and the youth all the time that I am God's favorite. And they laugh at me and they tell me, no, you're not. But you know what I am? And it's, it's like, it's, it's not even a joke anymore. One of these days they'll realize that I'm his favorite, amen. <laughs> but I am God's favorite child. But newsflash, you are God's favorite child, amen. You are God's favorite child. So I warn you to pray this way. Come to the throne boldly. Come to the throne knowing that you are loved. Come to the throne knowing that you're his favorite. Come to the throne knowing that I am the one he loves. Yes, he loves all the rest, but I am the one that he loves. Come to the throne like John, amen. amen. Martha and Mary, when they sent that note, you know they had a revelation of God's love towards them. But even then they fell short because the word that they used there for love, the one you love, is sick, is actually in the Greek phileo love. And phileo love is a human love. It's a natural kind of infinity love. And so they even fell short. Even though they had a revelation, they still fell short. You know, you're, you're, you're human, you're human love, human love. But two verses later in verse five, the Bible says that Jesus loved Martha, his sisters, and Lazarus. But the word love here in verse five is not phileo love, in, like in the Greek, it's agape love. 
And agape love is God's love. Agape love is divine love. Amen? Agape love is divine love. So let me tell you this. You see this, right? Agape love will speak to you even when you're not speaking back. Agape love will love you even when you're at your ugliest. Agape love will love you even first thing in the morning when your hair is standing on end. Agape love will pursue you when you run away. Agape love will not take no for an answer. Agape love is hot on your trail. Agape love, guys, will embrace you even when you don't feel like hugging back. Agape love will dance with you even when you're not dancing. Amen. So I encourage you. I encourage you. You are the one he loves. The one he loves. You know, we just... We probably will never understand. We can get a revelation of it, but we will never truly understand how much God loves us until we get to eternity. But at the same time, we can get that revelation. You know, our metaphors for in the world pale in comparison to God's love. You know, we have marriages, we have children, we have adoption, we have friends that we love, but that love still compares in comparisons to God's, God's love. Amen? The most romantic movie that you know the most romantic movie you know pales in comparison. Even Jerry Maguire, my favorite, you had me at hello. That's one of the most romantic lines I've ever heard. It pales in comparison to God's love. Amen. I have never yet met a Christian that has exaggerated God's love for them because they can't. It's impossible. But when we get to eternity, guys, when we get to heaven, we're going to be undone. We're going to be undone. And our undoing is going to be the realization of just how much, how extravagant God's love is for us. Amen. Be like the disciple John. I pray for you now that you will be like the disciple John. Amen. That you will come to God, not on the basis of what you do or what you've done, but on the basis of you are the one he loves. Lord, the one you love is here today. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is lonely today. Lord, the one you love is worried about this COVID business. The one you love is worried that we might go into another lockdown. The one you love is frustrated today. The one you love is anxious today. Approach him like that. He will smile. He will smile. Amen. God, your favorite is here today. I need to be delivered. I need to be healed. I need to be reconciled. I need to be restored. Whatever it is, the one you love. Nobody is an outsider where God's love is concerned. And you know, if you're here today and you think you're a poor excuse for a Christian, well, I'm sorry, but God still loves you. Sorry, he still loves you. In the fun room, even though you guys are in the fun room, he still loves you back there. God brought you here today because you are his favorite child and he loves you. He's hot on your trail. Amen. Amen. We think of love like a mom and dad's love or a favorite uncle and aunt's love, but no, it pales in comparison. So you might need to do it. And you know, the first few times I did it, I felt silly. You know, I smiled to myself when I did it. But the more you do it, the more you get used to doing it. You are the one he loves. Go to God with expectancy. Don't go to God like Oliver. Go to God with expectancy. He will withhold no good thing from us, the Bible says. You are the apple of his eye. Go to him with confidence. You're the one he loves. So I dare you. I double dare you. I triple dare you. Go to God. Lord, it's Angela, the one you love. Lord, it's Simon, the one you love. Lord, it's Jason, the one you love. Lord, it's Maxwell, the one you love. Lord, it's Aoife, the one you love. 
Lord, it's Rachel Prinsloo who makes the best cakes, the one you love. <laughs> Lord, it's Claire, the one you love. Lord, it's Damien, the one you love. Go to him. Approach him like that because he so loves you. Amen. Amen. Lose the Oliver approach. I pray that something will come alive in you today. And it will just erupt and show you God's amazing love for you. And it's not because you love him. It's because he loves you. Amen. Praise God. We want to give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. You know, this will be the biggest decision you ever make in your life. It will determine where you spend eternity. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. So if that's you today and you've never made that decision, please pray this very quick prayer after me. Pray, Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Jesus, save me, make me brand new, fill me with your spirit so that I can follow you and live for you. Thank you, God, that you are near me, that you will never leave me, that you will always be with me. My life is not my own. Today, I give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We want to pray a blessing over you as we leave you today. And that is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.